You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Commodity prices have come under pressure like every single other asset class have come under pressure over the last few days, last few weeks, and it's become even more rarefied. In the last two or three days, it's been quite extraordinary. So let's talk to someone who knows more about commodities than I've forgotten. Oh, is that the right phrase? I don't know. But anyway, he knows a lot. His name is Peter Major. He's Director of Mining at Mergence Corporate Solutions in Cape Town. You've seen it all before. I speak to so many people and I say this, you've seen it all before. But even you, Peter, haven't seen this before, have you? No, I haven't, Lizzie. No, I've seen a virus before. I was in Hong Kong and China back in 2003. And they gave us a mask when we got off the airplane and we had to wash our hands Mm -hmm. and they were taking measures then. And I thought, wow, this is pretty serious, but the Chinese seem to be on top of it. So I've seen a virus, but yeah, nothing like this. I've seen 9-11. I've seen the Asian crisis, Russian crisis, the Mexican tequila crisis. I saw 1987, but I haven't seen anything like this. Nothing like this. And in fact, 1987 was one of my... In a sick way, it was one of my happiest uh, two or three days. It was incredible. I was on top of things. But the thing is about 1987 is that nobody knew why the market was going down. Now I know, although it's a known unknown, I know why the market is going down. And I can't see the end of it. 87 was a flash, a flash crash. And up we went from there. We're not going up anywhere as far as I can see. And you must talk from a commodity perspective, if you would. I always start with the commodity sector because that's what I know. And I've been concerned for a year, and I've voiced that every chance I get. People say, how's mining doing? How's commodity cycle? I say, it's doing too well. It's scaring me because the world has gone on its longest uninterrupted uh, growth rate. You know, Dow Jones, S&P, I think it's 11 and a half years. It's a record. We've never had a bull market on the U.S. stock exchange for 11 and a half years. So we knew it was fragile. Earnings had never been close to as high as they are now, and they've never grown so continuously. So to me, the world was fragile. Commodity prices were way too high. Oil was a little above its mean, but iron ore was insane. Coal prices, insane. Um, The base metals were trading at the mean, and if you're looking at a crash, well, the, the mean on down, that leaves you in low territory, but precious metals, nuts. And so there were a lot more commodities trading, a lot higher they should at the tail end of the cycle, I thought. And the shares only discounted some of that. So this virus, it was more than the little tick we needed. It was more than the little jolt, the little speed bump we needed, I think, to bring markets back to reality. Um, And it's brought them to reality, but that's not the end of the story. You know, it's not the end of the story. Is, I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but I've just it's been watching just the start of the story. That's what it is scary. the start. Yeah, this is the scary yeah. thing because in the last two minutes, I've been watching the S&P 500 futures. They were limit up. They closed for about a couple of hours, and normally they would be locked in limit up until the opening. Uh, just like yesterday, they were locked in limit down. I'm just suddenly seeing the S&P futures fall dramatically they're only up one and three quarters percent now only up 41 points they were up nearly four percent just a few minutes ago something is just suddenly happening and the sensitivity uh peter and i hate it i mean it's great for broadcasting because people want to hear bad news but i'm absolutely terrified of what's going on uh, both socially and from the market point of view as well i'm i'm watching a market i'm watching a world on my screen now melting down 
Well, there's volatility like I've never seen. And when you have a crash, there's volatility. And we've talked about all the crashes, the Russian crisis, the dot-com, the Mexican tequila, the flash crash of 87. But I'm pretty sure we didn't have the volatility then that mm. we've got now. I've never seen this kind of volatility. And I'm 65. It's, and by volatility, I mean I come to my desk in the morning and at the open – you'll have a share down six, 7%. A few hours later, it's down 10%. By lunchtime, it's down 15, 18%. But by three o'clock, it's now up 5%. And by the close, it closes up 12. That's, that's what I mean by volatility. Yeah. And we're seeing this almost every damn day. It, you know, how can you explain shares and indices being up five six percent as you said in the morning you know limit up they had to put a ceiling on it and now it's already down to zero and for all i know these futures are going to be showing minus three before the open at 330 today it's yeah it's the volatility and we're getting this day after day week after week and it's actually been going on for a few months now it's, it's unprecedented in my view my experience. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to commodities in a moment, but uh, I do think that the whole social fabric of society over the next year, and it will be a year, it's not going to be weeks, it's not going to be months, it's going to be a year, has changed. Even my silly little life has changed immeasurably. On a Saturday, I'll occasionally go to my favourite sports bar and I'll sit and talk to the chaps and watch a football match. The bar has now closed. I'm living in Rotterdam at the moment. The bar has now closed. And even if it was open, they wouldn't be showing anything because there's no football. And that is a part of my life. So my Saturday, at my age, you're 65, I'm 58... Uh, it, it's 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 traumatic to some to people of our age to have our lifestyles changed and our routines. It's going to be traumatic for most of the world. Exactly. That's right. This, this isn't nine eleven, and this definitely isn't even the global financial meltdown, and it's not even a world war. You know, a world war. The majority of the people still might they still pretty much carry on, mm. but this thing it's a virus. We know it's all over the world. We know it's growing. We don't know who's got it. We don't know when we're going to get it. So this has got everybody paralyzed in the headlights, in the dark, in the middle of the road. Okay. So in that light, is it justifiable to see, for example, platinum down from over a thousand dollars an ounce down to its current level of around six hundred dollars an ounce? Palladium was obviously a bubble waiting to burst, and it just needed an excuse. But that went from, I think it was close to twenty nine hundred dollars an ounce, wasn't it? I don't know what it is now. You've got a yep. more updated screen. No, you're exactly right. It's sixteen hundred. Yeah, it's come from twenty nine. I think it touched three thousand an ounce. Gosh. And yeah, it's down to sixteen. And look, I'm not surprised on that, and I'm not surprised that rhodium is finally broken and is now heading down platinum look i'm a little surprised that it fell as much as it did because it was already pretty cheap it was already a little below its long-term average whereas the others were triple and quadruple but look i'm not surprised that pgms are coming down because almost all your palladium and all your rhodium is used in autocats and if the world's biggest auto market is china 25 million units a year if its sales the last month or two have been down 90%, hell, I think anybody could extrapolate PGM demand is going to be down quite a bit because auto sales are down quite a bit.
Okay, so that's the PGMs. Um, justifiable at these levels? I don't know. Uh, justifiable at the higher levels? Probably not. But we're going to have to find some kind of um, equilibrium in the next few weeks and months. And I just wonder that will be, what that will be. And, and how do you approach the mining sector? Because you look at something like Impala Platinum, and I bang on about this one because I'm close to somebody who uh, called it at the bottom and sold it, not at the top, but close to the top. And now you're suddenly seeing Impala going from 170 to, have you got a screen there in front of you, Peter? Where, yeah, I think it was 77 just a bit ago. Okay, so from 170, it says full in 100 rand a share, which is an absolutely astonishing, astonishing fall by anybody. <laughs> it, well, How do you approach and, these things now? Because they're obviously it, good value. It, they're good value, but you've got to put in a buffer. And you've got to base that share price on what your estimate of the commodity price is, but without a doubt, you can have palladium probably come back to 1,200, maybe even a thousand. You can have rhodium come back to 4,000. It's currently 12, and Impala will probably go up. But when commodity prices are falling, it's catching a falling knife. And so people will look at the share and they'll say, "Wow, this is discounting PGM prices a lot lower than currently," but. Maybe they are going to keep falling. You know, if those commodity prices keep falling, if the PGM prices keep falling, then the share will keep going down. So it's always the share is trying to anticipate where the commodity prices are going to level off. And you do have a RAND factor here. So I think what's affecting Sabanya and Impala the most, people know, hey, these are RAND hedges. All their costs are in RANDs. All their revenue is in dollars. That's how it used to be. But now, Impala Platinum has bought a North American producer for $1.2 billion. So people will say, wow, now all their costs aren't in rands. Man, they got some serious costs in dollars. And Sabanya, oh boy, they paid $2.2 billion for Stillwater. So I believe that's why the market is hitting them a little harder than maybe the other platinum shares, like Amplats, Northam, a couple other smaller ones, because those ones... All their costs are in rands. They can control it. But Impala and Sabanya, a big percentage of their costs are now offshore. And the guys are worried, geez, if PGM prices keep falling, now you got a dollar asset that could start losing money or sucking money, and you're having to fund it from rands. Okay, let's have a look at uh, the, the one that everybody is talking about at the moment. And it's a little bit of a conundrum uh, because it's discombobulated a lot of people because the gold price was 1680, close to 1700, just a few days ago in trading terms. It's now 1480. It's down, <laughs> down 2%, down another $30. I mean, what is going on here? To me, this is the screaming <laughs> buy of the century. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, Lindsay, look at the average over the years and it's just coming back to <laughs> yeah. us. It's mean, you're going to say that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I will say it because you can't get away from gravity. It's always tugging at you, man. Okay, well, what's tugging at you at the moment when it comes to the gold price? Because I, I would, if I had any money, which I don't, I would buy gold. I would buy bars. I would buy ETFs. I would buy futures. I would buy call options, and I would just sit somewhere and say, "Come to me, come to me, bulls. The distressed sellers are out of the market. Up we go from here." You clearly disagree. <laughs> Look, gold's got more in its favor than it's had in a long time. And, and one thing that's got in its favor is it pays no interest because nowadays most bonds don't pay any interest. And you could say, well, gold costs you a percent to hold. Yes, and 
it costs money to hold cash. And that's why a lot of long-term interest rates are now minus 1%. So the banks are charging you for holding your cash. Well, now, now banks are very equal to gold. Now medium-term bonds are very equal to gold. Neither pay interest, and the banks charge you to store both. But let's say, why would somebody buy gold, Lindsay? Do they buy it because if electricity goes out, they can generate power? Do they buy it, but if they can't afford diesel, they can put a little gold in their engine? Or what if your water gets cut off? You know, can you drink it? You can't eat it. So why do you buy gold? Do you buy it to protect your money? Well, most people are in debt, so they're not going to borrow money to buy gold. That's not very prudent. So because if you go people, to a market, okay, let's, uh, let me just answer yeah. the, the first part of your question. Why does someone buy gold? Okay, I've got a gold ingot and the world is in an apocalyptic state. And I go to a market in some country and uh, the, the, the currency is, currencies have been essentially destroyed by the actions of central banks. So I go there with a little gold ingot and I say, I need to stay in your bed and breakfast for the next six months while things calm down. Here's a gold ingot. That person can then exchange that gold ingot for goods and services in whichever country we're in. It is starting to become the, the real old-fashioned store of value. And I'm not being the freaky here. I really honestly believe that the store of value quality of gold, never mind the inflation story, we'll come to that later, but I, I think it has a genuine value when the U.S. cuts interest rates to zero. Look, maybe it does, and I don't think it's – it's bad to have some. I really believe in diversification. So yes, I don't think you should have all your money in dollars. And dollars are the second most liquid investment after gold. You know, some people tell you it's the first, but let's just say they tie. So I would definitely have some in both because you want to be diversified. You don't want all your money in gold. You don't want it all in dollars. But the yuan is that readily convertible, the Chinese yuan or the Russian ruble? No. The no, pound? Hey, I found people in Zambia wouldn't take the pound. So I do agree <laughs> with you. Gold is liquid. 200 countries will take gold. And close to 200 countries will take dollars. And dollars, they're probably a little more liquid than gold, you know, because you've got different denominations. But gold, it's not too hard. You can take a chisel and a hammer and knock off a chunk and weigh it. So... <laughs> Gold's not going to fall down, I don't think. But what if you're living through a depression? What if the whole world goes into a depression? And with a depression, you usually get deflation. Is gold going to hold its value or will gold fall from 1500 to 14 to 12? Maybe it'll mimic the dollar. You know, these bitcoins were going to be a great, uh, what do we say, disaster hedge. And they're not panning out. So I think gold and the dollar, yeah, they're both. Probably the most liquid, versatile of the two. Okay, you're Director of Mining at Mergence Corporate Solutions. You're based in Cape Town. You travel across Africa. You go and see miners. You go and see mines. You evaluate their value. What would you be doing now? If, for example, and here's a hypothetical situation, you've been away studying something, diseases in the Amazon, and you've come back. You haven't had any internet connection. You haven't seen any prices. And I said to you, okay, Impala Platinum has gone from 16 to 170. It's now back at 75. What would you do without knowing what's happening with the, with the commodity, the underlying PGM basket itself? What would your psychological approach be to this knee-jerk reaction? What would it be? No, I would do nothing, Wednesday. Geez, 
I think you're crazy doing something when you don't know the macro environment. Yeah, if if I'm Rip Van Winkle and I go on a long sleep in a cave, or like you said, I'm in the Brazilian jungle, I come out, geez, don't tell me a share price that was 20 bucks when I left is now 70 and say, but Pete, it did go to 170, but now it's like 70. You need to know the context. You need to know the background and the environment. Jeez, if you're just going to buy some share, is it a different price than last time you remember it? Okay, that was a badly, a badly constructed question. What do you do now? Yeah. This, is, this is much easier. What do you do now, given what you're seeing with the coronavirus and given what we've just seen over the last 27 minutes, which is an S&P which has gone from 4% up limit up to now um, almost only like one and a quarter percent higher. The sensitivity is to the downside. Do you just say to all your clients and all your uh, people to whom you consult, you just say, just let it calm down a bit? Or do you say, be brave and let's get in here? No, I'd say let it calm down. And I don't think I said that at 9-11. And I don't remember saying it at those other disasters because I was buying and it shortly went up and I was number one a few of those years. Tell me about the, your years. 9-11 strategy because this, this is very interesting because I've been asking a lot of people how they reacted to previous crises. What was your, what was your crisis management when it was 9-11, that extraordinary day? Well, gee, Lindsay, it couldn't be so different because our index was already very, very low relative to the S&P. In fact, I think we were nearing a 100-year low. I think our PE relative was near a 100-year low. So we were looking exceptionally cheap anyways. And the S&P and the Dow, they weren't looking that expensive. They, they were looking about a little less than fair value. And so when 9-11 hit, it wasn't an international event. It was two buildings gone, two buildings in a big city gone. And yes, there was 3,000 some odd people, horrible, um, almost as bad as Pearl Harbor, but it was only two buildings. You know, Pearl Harbor, we lost ships, we lost planes, we lost some buildings. This is two buildings. And so the states financially, economically was very strong, very together. Politically, most of the whole world liked the states then. We probably had less anguish with other countries then. And everybody was on our side, offered us support. To me, it was a no-brainer. Bush was going to cut rates, and he was going to stimulate the economy, and it would take off. And it was all laid out so easy to see, and it literally happened not even weeks, you know, almost a couple of handfuls of days. This is different. This is a pandemic. This is international. This is in 200 countries of the world, and it's growing by the day. It's still growing in China. The rate of growth has slowed down, but it is growing every day. Mm. So this is really catching a knife with razor-sharp edges on both sides of the blade, and it is so different from 9-11. This is so different from 2008 or the 87 flash crash to me. you know, Maybe I got the wrong glasses on, but this is just very different. And it is global, and it's affecting commodity prices. It's affecting asset values, property prices. I mean, when in the history of the world were people told you can't go to restaurants, you're going yes. to cancel sports? Yeah, exactly. it's just, 
so much about this is unprecedented and it's scary unprecedented and we don't understand what we don't quite understand now is there'll be books uh, written about this there'll be conferences in las vegas studying human behavior that has panned out over what will be the next few months we don't understand that human beings run markets and if human behavior has to change because of governments telling us what we can and can't do then that changes everything it changes our lives it changes the lives of the markets it changes asset prices it changes everything it is unbelievable what we're seeing right now on our very screens yes and and what what scares me the most lindsay is all our experience when you're old that's, that's all you got sometimes but it means we have to face the fact all our experience might not be worth anything um, I won't say it's changing laws of physics, but we've already seen after 2008 how many professors and business executives said you can throw out all the economics and finance we've been teaching the last 30 years. And it was true. They were right. All these, these fake little relationships and equations and, and, and studies, it, it, was, it, it was almost voodoo economics. The, the, the hard and fast rules that we thought were hard and fast, they weren't physically replicated. They weren't easy to test like you do with science. So we realized a lot of our economics was not science. It was not reliable. And so now this virus is going to do the same. It's changing our economic structure. It's going to have some effect with our social structure. Um, it's, yeah, political structure. Well, you know, populists, they'll always rule. But it's the economy here. You know, it means when I look back on all the examples of a catastrophe in the making, I could say this could be a month or two months, or I know things will revert to the mean, so I'm going to buy when things fall below the mean. But man, I can't say that now because those means could be meaningless because they were based on a different economic system than the one we're probably going to have going forward. Very scary. Um, without giving away too many details, has it affected your business life? I mean, at Mergence, have, have you had uh, the different, a different type of phone call that you've had to make? Have you had people cancelling? Have you had people um, saying, well, actually, no, because of this, this time, I need you even more? Tell me about it. Well, we've had all those calls. Yeah, we've had desperate calls from people that say, I need you even more. I need you to help me raise money for my asset. I need you to help me sell my asset. And we're getting the opposite calls as well that say, Pete, we were looking at that asset, but our funders have pulled their funding. Mm. Or I've got the funding still, Peter, but I'm going to hold on to it till I see some kind of leveling out. So uh, a couple of businesses that are still running have told us, geez, our customer base has fallen by 50% in the last few weeks. If it even stays here, we're going to be in trouble. Um, if it falls lower, we're in big trouble. And we're hoping that it's going to pick up in a few more weeks. So, yeah, I've had calls that are different from calls at previous catastrophes, disasters. And, and I don't have the kind of answers I used to have before. I used to have the self-assurance. Guys, we can ride this out. Guys, it might take a year, but I think it'll take six months. Let's make a plan together. Although, Lindsay, we're going to have to take that attitude now. We're probably less sure that we're correct or right, uh, but it's it's batting down the hatches. Try and increase your business. Try and decrease your costs. Uh, try and keep an even keel here. Mm. But it is uncharted territory, boy. It's, it's, this, this tunnel is very gray 
at the end. I won't say it's black, but it, it's, it's close to black. We just we can't see where is the light, how big is the light, and how far is it away. Very well put. Peter, thank you so much for your time, your extended time. That's Peter Major. Peter is the Director of Mining at Emergence Corporate Solutions based in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.